0: May I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our narrative today from Genesis offers us so much as we are in these beginnings of Lent. Lent is a time for us to consider what helps us seek God and what diverts or distracts us from our ability to seek God. Historically, this was rooted in preparation for baptism, but in our annual calendar, as we practice Lent, we may take up something that helps us, or we may put down something that is not helpful to us as we relate to God. In the big picture, whatever we pick up or let go of in this season may get traction in our lives, and we might continue these practices beyond Lent life-changing. Through our intentionality, a part of what may happen because of Lent may be an exposure of false beliefs about who God is, or Lent may give us an encounter in a deeper way with the truth of who God is. With all of our Christian faith really being about relationship, what is central is how we view God and how we view ourselves. This narrative is extraordinary regarding this. Today, we pick up the flood story at the end. This story may seem a stretch of faith to consider. Diane Burgant asserts many Near Eastern civilizations preserved a story of a major flood that enveloped the entire world. Something happened historically that became part of a narrative for more than those who follow God. This is a complicated story in a lot of directions, and we sometimes reduce it to a pretty rainbow and maybe some poofy clouds. But if we back up a few chapters, we hear why the flood happened. The Lord saw the, that the wickedness of humans was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. That may sound like a contemporary description also. The book of Genesis takes us from creation through narratives of families and covenants with humanity and God. At the time of Noah, we are 10 generations from creation, Adam to Noah, with the generation being many more years than they are today. That is how long God has been relating to God's creation. It was beautiful and amazing and not going well. Hence the flood. Our passage begins with God initiating with Noah to establish a covenant after the flood. This is the first covenant in the Bible, and in this brief passage, the word covenant is used seven times. must be important. There are a total of four covenants in the Old Testament. Noah, with preservation of humanity and restraint by God, Abraham, regarding descendants and land, Moses, the giving of the law and governing and shaping of relating with God, excuse me, <clears throat> and David, securing land and enduring kingship. All of these come before the new covenant with Jesus. As we hear each of them in a snippet of description we can discern that they each had a particular purpose and some of them put obligations on both god and humanity. Here in this first covenant it appears god is orienting on how to relate to god's creation. But god is not changing. God is doing what god does revealing more of god of who god is to creation. To a creation that's growing in its capacities, and competencies as we continue to do today. God's commitment to creation is showing the way through. God is promising to never relate to creation in an unrestrained way. Now, God being God certainly has the right to relate to God's creation, however God chooses, but God is choosing to limit God's self for the sake of creation For the sake of us. That is a huge promise by our Almighty God. And you would think, with such a commitment by God, there would be a demand upon humans to somehow reciprocate something in covenant making. Think of marriage vows. That is a covenant. But what happens in marriage vows, which is frequently what happens in covenants, is each party is making the same promises. So expectations are the same for both parties. That is not the case here. God is promising to limit God's self no matter what humanity does. And God is asking for nothing in return from humanity. What reckless, extravagant love God has for us. And let us not miss, this covenant is with humanity, but we hear in verse 10 and again in verse 15, it is also with every living creature. All the animals, all our pets at home right now, are important to God. Every living creature. How beautiful is that? There are somewhat standard pieces to covenants historically. Parts that were familiar between people groups as they navigated relationships. These same pieces are often a part of God's covenants with humanity. Perhaps an expression by God so that God could be understood using what humans are familiar with to communicate truth. One aspect of a covenant is a sign or token that symbolizes the commitment being made. With Abraham at a circumcision, the sign with the Mosaic covenant was offering sacrifices to God. The sign for the Davidic covenant was about presence, the Ark of the Covenant, containing the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was also an internal sign of faith remembering the covenant, remembering the relationship, actively responding over time. Here with Noah the sign or symbol is the rainbow. In the text it just says bow in the clouds. This is unique compared to other covenants. The others included action or obligation by both parties involved, reminders of human responsibilities. Here this first covenant imposes no action or response from any living creature. This bow in the clouds could simply be a rainbow, or may, as Lowes Ferguson and others assert from ancient writings, represent weaponry. Archery. Imagine the shape of a bow. This covenant has a sign that is only for God. This bow, this rainbow, is not for us to remember God's promise. The bow in the clouds is the sign for God to remember God's promise. The weapon is laid down. The position of the bow is such that it is unusable by God. We hear God in our reading, when the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between you and every living creature. We observe in this first covenant God makes with creation as we enter this Lenten season a reckless, extravagant, committed love. William Lloyd Allen, writing on this covenant, declares, God keeps the future open by self-limitation when humanity threatens to close off hope by unlimited repeat offenses. He further writes that God declaring this covenant is not an objective judge meeting out a just sentence, but a lover grieved to the heart at the beloved's violence, yet still seeking reconciliation. God's heart aches for us, and God has done literally everything and anything so that we may choose to be in relationship with God. In these beginnings of Lent, as we understand God's heart and God's thinking towards us, what does that do to us? It may stir us to want to love God back. It may stir us to want our very lives to express gratitude toward our almighty God who imposes limits on God's self that God may love and accept us no matter what. Let us see the truth of God's heart and mind toward us. And let us take time in this Lenten season to respond. It could change our lives.